Do you ever ask yourself why the majority of businesses out there are struggling just to survive, while an elite handful are crushing it? On today's show, we're discussing that question. This week's guest on the podcast is Steve Prada, founder of Steve Prada Business Growth. He's also an author and the host of the Management Blueprint podcast. Steve coaches business owners to help them reach their ambitions, which could mean scaling and maximizing their company's profitability or making business ownership a more pleasurable, fulfilling experience. Steve's life mission is to eradicate what he calls business COVID. He says 180,000 businesses in the U.S. disappear each year because their owners don't have the knowledge and tools that are essential to be successful. Steve himself is an entrepreneur, founding investment banking firms in his native country of Hungary and later in the United States. If you're looking for insight to help your business reach its full potential, I suggest you have a listen. This is Swarfcast, the podcast for professionals in precision machining. I'm your host, Noah Graff. As listeners of this podcast know, my family company, Graf Pinkert, has been buying and selling used machine tools all over the world for the last 80 years. Every day while selling machinery, we talk to owners of machining companies who tell us they want to expand their business through acquisition. We also encounter a lot of owners of companies who are ready to exit but don't have successors. This inspired us to start a new business service. Graf Pinkert Acquisitions and Sales, in which we serve as consultants for precision machining companies who want to buy or sell their businesses. There are a lot of business brokers out there who can list your company, but for the most part, those people are generalists. They may not have even heard of precision machining. Another unique thing about working with Graf Pinkert is that we often have a personal relationship with both the potential buyer and seller putting us in a rare position to evaluate if the two parties are a good fit for each other. Go to graphpinkert.com to contact us for a consultation to see if your sales or acquisitions needs are a good fit for our services. Mention this podcast and we will give you a free tabletop valuation of your company's equipment. Click on the link in the show notes. I am very honored to have Steve Preda. He is the founder of Steve Prada Business Growth and the host of the Management Blueprint podcast that I was recently on. And I'll, I'll tell you right now, he's a very good interviewer himself. So hopefully I can measure up. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Noah. I'm honored to be here. I'm very excited to be on Swarfcast. Awesome. So, okay, I just want to start out by you giving me the brief cliff notes version of your business then i want to get a little of your story and then we're gonna we're gonna dig deeper yeah so as, as you said my business is called steve Prida business growth and we are in the business of growing businesses through systemizing simplifying conceptualizing uh, methods to grow businesses so basically there are 1.7 million small to mid-sized businesses in the united states alone and uh, there is and a pandemic going on among these businesses that I call business COVID. And our mission is to eradicate business COVID. And uh, in the process, we also help business owners to get to their ideal life by building great businesses that eradicates business COVID. So what happens is about 180,000 businesses disappear each year because business owners are not trained MBAs and uh, they are not born entrepreneurs. They uh, as Michael Gerber in the email says, they are technicians who start businesses and they really, they know their staff, they know their service that they provide, their, their product. But, you know, building a business is its own thing. And we help simplify the concepts and toolify them, make them really uh, easy to implement. And ex something, you know, each concept has to be explainable in five minutes or less. And then we work with the leadership teams to implement those concepts in their businesses, and then it helps the business grow to become more profitable, to have an engaged workforce, a leadership team with a vision, a strategy, 
um, executing it, becoming highly profitable and uh, digging a moat around the business. So that's, that's what we do. Very interesting. So I tend to think, obviously, you know, if you've had a lot of education, MBA, you know, you've learned theory, you've learned about the business that you're in. Uh, obviously, that helps. But I think anybody needs to learn the skills. You know, I, sure, maybe people, some people are just natural in their leadership and their charisma and their, but as far as bringing it all together, I remember Steve Martin, you know, the comedian saying, you know, I'm not a natural. I learned how to do this. And so it sounds like that's your outlook that people need to to learn how to have a business. Yeah, or or they need it to be so made so intuitive and simple for them so that they can effortlessly implement these concepts, not losing the focus on what they're really good at, which is their business, the service they provide, the product they create the process they execute. So that's kind of the mission. So that uh, bring it to them, make it simple, make it easy, make it customized, and then they can focus on keep on uh, growing their business and doing what they are best at. Interesting. Okay. I got all kinds of questions about that. And first though, I want to get, you know, a a brief story uh, of you. I mean, as everybody can hear, you've got an interesting accent and you are quite successful and worked with a lot of interesting people. And I want to know how you came to be where you are right now. So first, where are you from? So I was born in Budapest, Hungary, in Central Eastern Europe. And uh, my, you know, my parents are professionals, both sides of the family. Everyone was a doctor or a lawyer. Uh, So that's, that's kind of how I was raised. But I kept hearing uh, stories about my great-grandfather, who was a great entrepreneur. Between the two world wars, he built a great bakery business, which supplied all the big hotel chains and you know, distributed bakery products all across Budapest. He was one of the biggest taxpayers in Budapest, even though reportedly he didn't claim all his taxes. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, he was my idol, not because of the tax thing, but because he was an entrepreneur. And I thought that is really exciting to build a business from scratch. And I was very curious about that. And I thought that when I finish uh, college, I'm going to become an entrepreneur. And so it turned out that I got a scholarship and then another scholarship. And then I got a job in London and I got all these great opportunities and, and it kept putting off my entrepreneurial journey, so to say. So you, so, you, so you were an MBA in a school in Hungary? I was not an MBA. I studied finance in Hungary. Then I, you know, I I lived in different countries. I went a year to Greece. I studied there, uh, Greek literature, actually. Then I went to the Netherlands. I studied business there. Then I went to London, where I worked for a big accounting firm, became a a CPA there. Uh, They called it ACA, but uh, became a chartered accountant. And then I joined a big bank, which was a big uh, multilateral bank. It's kind of World Bank for Central Europe called the EBRD, and then I joined another bank. And I, so I was kind of a, on a fast track management program with these banks. And I kept wanting to do my entrepreneurial thing, but I was kind of in a golden cage. I couldn't get out. And eventually, one summer uh, afternoon, actually early fall afternoon, I got pushed out. There was a downsizing in the bank, and they look at the salary slips, and they saw that I had one of the highest ones for my, my age group. So I thought, okay, this guy is going to be a great uh, improvement on our P&L. So they pushed me out, and then I started my own business. So suddenly... The- so, the, so the golden handcuffs were finally lifted. It wasn't quite a golden handcuff. It was three months sever- severance, but it was a great, I had a great salary. No, but I mean, you said you said before yeah. you felt like you were trapped That's because right. yes, it wasn't a golden so that, parachute. It was a golden handcuff. You're right. You got the right term. Right, not the golden <laughs> parachute. <laughs> Doesn't sound like you got much of a parachute. No right. Parachute. So the handcuffs. The handcuffs. You were released the handcuffs from came them, off, and, and and I was 35 years old, and I thought. I always thought of thought of 35 as kind of the then I really have to get out of this uh, corporate uh, world, and and they helped me uh, get out of it. And I walked across the street. I rented an apartment for a friend of mine, and and you were in London right now. I was in Budapest at the time, so I I was back in Budapest. Okay, so you had gone back to Budapest. Yes, I was back in Budapest, and. Um, and then I walked across the street and uh, started my business, uh, started up an investment banking firm. And 
An investment banking firm. Yes. Okay. So you were just like, yeah, my first business, I want to be an investment banker. What what were you doing before that? Were you working at an investment bank? Yes. So I was running the investment banking department of this big bank, it was a Dutch bank, uh, Eben Amro. I was running the investment banking department in Budapest. And uh, so that was the logical thing for me. So, so this was like mergers and acquisitions? Yes. Mergers and acquisitions. And as a private entrepreneur, so with the big bank, we were serving the big corporates, like the top public companies. But as a private entrepreneur, I didn't have the cachet to do that. So I started working with small to medium-sized businesses and helping them uh, raise money and then prepare for sale and then help them sell it. And it was a great, a very exciting time. Hungary was just joining the EU uh, and it was high, very high expectations. There was good growth. So it was a really fun time and the business was growing nicely. And one of the things that I stumbled upon around 2005 was a book by Michael Gerber, The E-Myth, which I already mentioned. Um, what, what's it called? Uh, the E-Myth, The Entrepreneurial the E-myth. Myth, E-Myth. Okay. And the, the main, main concept of The E-Myth is that you have to work on your business, not just in your business. So it basically looks on your business from from a bird's eye perspective, here's your business, how do you build it? Uh, don't just think of it as doing jobs for other people, but you actually build a business that will be a valuable thing. And I got really excited by this. I, I, I read the book, then I ordered kind of the sequel to it, The Emith Master, it's, it's here somewhere. It's like a, a thumb. And I kind of made notes, I implemented everything I could, and that really helped my business take off. And that was a big uh, moment because it it kind of raised my uh, my interest in this whole idea of building businesses and growing businesses. So it was and it was it was scaling. It was replacing yourself, sort of. Yes, it was the idea of having a vision and a plan and uh, having an organization structure and how to divide and conquer and how to. Uh, he talks about position contracts. Uh, Michael Gerber in your organization. So how do you empower your people so that they understand exactly what they own, the function they own and what they have to execute and and set targets and, uh, you know, socialize your vision uh, and then have a, a strategy for your marketing. Okay, then what happened? So, so that really gave us a boost and we were growing uh, really nicely. And 2007 was the best year in our, in, in our company. We basically doubled our revenues. And 2008, I was super excited. We had a lot of projects cooking. And I thought that we were going to, again, double the revenue. I hired a bunch of people. And, and then suddenly, the financial crisis hit in September 2008. And, and suddenly, I realized that you know, all our deals were collapsing. And I had to very severely downsize my company to just survive. And there was a very tough time. 2008-09, we were basically living hand to mouth, so to say. Uh, so to speak. And um, and then we recovered. 2010 was quite okay. And then 2011 looked like another great year. And then the European currency crisis broke out. And again, uh, we had all these five or six projects that we were going to close. And what was the currency crisis? It, the EU, the, the euro went way up? Uh, well, it, <laughs> um, what happened was, you know, some countries in the euro, uh, they went into debt and suddenly it looked like they would not be able to stay in the currency zone because they were destabilizing the euro and there were discussion, discussions of cutting them loose or cutting themselves loose, like Greece and Portugal and Ireland. So the banking sector was in a disarray and suddenly banks stopped lending money for projects and investors were kind of uh, holding off. Not good for eye banking. No, definitely not. And my wife and I were, you know, we were at the Lake Balaton, which is where our vacation home was, and and we looked at what was happening and, and said, are we going to wait, wait for another crisis? You know, this is kind of take two, where are we going to wait for take three? And then we decided that uh, we won't do that. Uh, it's too much, too much instability. So we're going to start, try to come to another country maybe. Um, and then we looked at Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and eventually decided to come to the U.S., was it difficult to come to the U.S.? No, actually, it was it was very easy. Why? Because you were having you had a business. Because I had a business and I could create an affiliate for my business, and I started investment banking here, 
And for the first year, still doing, still doing like small to medium size companies. Yes, same thing. I thought that we had a good recipe in Hungary for uh, M&A, and I thought that we would just follow the same thing. Virginia is like uh, Hungary in terms of rough population and geographic size. So I thought that, oh, it's great. You know, I'm just... Like DC area, that's where you went? Uh, no, I went to Richmond. I thought that DC was going to be too competitive. I also thought New York was going to be too competitive. We were also part of a, a big international M&A network, mergers and acquisition network, and it had kind of a, a wide spot on the map in Virginia. It looked like Great for climate was great and uh, very business friendly and great outdoors and uh, great cost of living was fairly affordable. So we thought my, my question place. to you is, you know, I, our company, Graf Pinkert's been getting into M&A now just, you know, for smallish, medium sized companies, manufacturing companies. And, you know, the whole local geographic thing doesn't seem like that important to us is why was that? Why did you consider that important at the time or, or did you, in retrospect, realize it wasn't that important to be in a spot that, you know, was with less competition? Because I was clueless. You know, I didn't know any better. I thought America was like Europe, that you have different states or like countries ah. and you can just uh, have you, uh, Virginia, I could, I thought I could right. drive around. I can have it as my hunting ground. So in Hungary, that. when you were doing banking, you were sticking to Hungary, even though it was part of the EU, you were just sticking to your country. Pretty much. I mean, we opened a branch in, in, in Bucharest, in Romania as well, but, but pretty much because the language barrier is a pretty big thing. So it, it kind of it protects your market. You don't have to worry about competitors outside of your language. Uh, That's true. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. That's a good point. But so you then realized when you got to Virginia, it doesn't really matter if, if the person's in Idaho or wherever. Yeah. So it's a totally different competitive landscape and the things are moving much faster here. And I didn't understand how to market, how to even sell myself. So it was it was a bit of a culture shock from that respect. Uh, so I decided to pull the plug on my investment banking business and uh, go and join uh, a coaching organization called Vistage. So I thought Vistage is a you know peer group organization. And I thought, okay, so Vistage is kind of a franchise. And as a franchisee, I was going to learn how to promote my business, how to recruit members to my group, build a network through Vistage groups. So that's what I did. All right. So this is really interesting to me because coaching is in these days. You know, my brother, he's becoming a coach for um, a coach for men um, in their relationships. And, you know, I have a, a life coach. I have a podcast coach. I, I think it's part of the podcast is boom. There's so many coaches. And I was talking actually with my podcast coach. He's sort of the assistant podcast coach yesterday. We were having my, my coaching session. And he was talking about, you know, I'm thinking about maybe being a life coach, podcast coach, because he's got like a self-help podcast. And he's like, but, you know, I don't know, like, who am I to do this? You know, and w which I've thought about, too, you know, like I've thought, yeah, maybe one day that'd be interesting. I like to help people. I like to make my mark. What made you think that you had the ability and I guess the right to coach people. Was it just something aching inside and you just say, I, I know I was born to do this? Uh, not really. I mean, it wasn't that highfalutin. It was, I, <laughs> you know, I, I looked at it as a mastermind, running a mastermind group, and I form, formed a mastermind group in Budapest that... Explain, explain what a mastermind group so is. So a mastermind group, uh, it comes from the, the book uh, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, which is like one of the perennial bestsellers from the 1930s. And, and uh, this comes from originally from Carnegie, uh, Andrew Carnegie. So anyway, so that's, a, that's an old concept. Uh, even Jesus had kind of a mastermind group with the apostles. <laughs> so it's the idea that, you know, Vistich sa says it this way, that all of us, uh, none of us is as smart as all of us. So when you get a group of people, then you can really brainstorm and you can access their minds through conversation and you can use their experience to bolster your own and you can make better decisions. You can uh, um, you know, build relationships, contacts. You can uh, build That's something that totally excites me, that, that idea, like when I'm in an informal situation like that. So, okay, so you already had this mastermind background. 
And then you saw Vistage as like a mastermind type group. Yeah. And that was sort of the gateway into coaching because you're like, if I can do this kind of stuff. Exactly. So I, I ran a mastermind. I looked at it as another mastermind. And, you know, I like challenges anyway. I thought that there's no better way to learn business than to throw myself uh, among the wolves, basically. And what is so who are, you, who are the other people in the mastermind group? People that also had had businesses or have businesses? So these are all business owners who run businesses between five and a hundred million dollar, or in some cases, bigger businesses. But your business had stopped. That's true. But I was the facilitator. So it didn't matter. Right. Uh, and how big was your business at the time? My business it was a couple of million dollars uh, fee revenue. So it wasn't, it wasn't a very big business, but you know, for Hungary, it was one of the largest ones. And you know, it was a high margin business. So that didn't really matter. What mattered was that I worked with a lot of other business owners and it was like being a management consultant to some extent, as well as uh, negotiating with, with buyers. So there's a lot of experience with learning about how business works. So it was the banking, even though you even though you hadn't, you know, scaled your business like these people, all the experience you had in the banking working with big companies that equip you? Is that would you say that's true or but you know the saying uh, fake it till you can make it? Yeah. So it was a little bit like that. So did you go, oh whoa, I, my business was only a couple million and I was in Hungary and these guys are like hundreds of millions. What am I doing here? Or did, did you just kind of like go, this is going to work? I, I didn't look at it this way. I looked at it the way that none of those entrepreneurs moved their families to a different continent and started from scratch at the age of 45. So I thought I actually had more experience than them in many ways. In, in uh, you know, I had a business experience. I ran a business. We went through two crises. Uh, I steered my business through it. I also worked with small business, medium businesses for 20 years. So I had didn't, I didn't have any reservations. I thought I had a much more diversity of experience um, than those people. And I, I could connect people. I could brainstorm with them. I think I'm a fairly good listener. I could ask questions. And um, I felt like it was a great opportunity for me to you know, they say that fly with the eagles, don't scratch with the turkeys. So I went to fly with the eagles. I wanted to be among uh, the these companies much bigger than me because I wanted to learn from them. Uh, I thought that this was my way of, of learning from them and elevating them. And if, if I'm, I am associating with these people, I'm going to be like them. You know, there is the saying that you are the average of the five people that you spend most of your time with. So that was my uh, approach. That was my attitude. I wanted to be the average of these people who are much more successful than me. I don't want to be an average of people that are less successful than me. That's that's how I was. I thought about it for rightly or wrongly. Yeah. Well, no, and it shows a tremendous amount of chutzpah to do that. So, okay. So you were in the mastermind, you were facilitating the group, you were sharing space with, you know, these super successful entrepreneurs and giving your take on it. And then, then how did you get into, you know, where you are right now? So then... Um, about uh, two years in, I, my, my vision was, and I looked at what was coming in the pipe. We have four kids and, you know, we wanted to put them through college. So I, I did the numbers and I realized that <laughs> I'm not making enough money here. So I have to get to, you know, a high six figures really, really fast in order to do that. We had basically... So they didn't pay you that much uh, facilitating the mastermind. So facilitating, it could have worked if I put together four or five groups and I had them running at full uh, capacity, but it just didn't work out in Richmond. There is a big market, local competitor who is a much lower price point. It's a fraction of a price point. Of but nowadays it would just be on Zoom, so it wouldn't matter how local it was, uh, right? Maybe, maybe. I realized that I, I had two groups. I wanted to launch a third group, and it didn't work out. And I realized, I saw the writing on the wall. Plus, the other thing I realized was that I was spending a lot of time one-to-one and it was just the value add was not as high as a one-to-many. So when you can, you know, when you, when you spend your time working with multiple people, you actually create more value. So I thought, how could I create more value? Um, and then I, uh, I remembered that another book that was a really big influence on me was Traction by Gino Wickman. And I thought, 
okay, I could implement this. I implemented it in my own business. I can implement it for others. So I started, uh, I became a speaker on the Vistage network because I saw that uh, speakers could get business. So I created my own talk about uh, making businesses viable. And then I went to the circuit and I signed up clients and I started facilitating uh, leadership team coaching sessions for them. Oh, okay. So you were doing teams. And then then after that, eventually that morphed into being a private coach and coming up with this. And then, and then I wrote a couple of books. And then when EOS Worldwide uh, became a franchise organization, uh, I thought, okay, I didn't want to be part of a franchise. So I started doing my own thing. I joined another company called Pinnacle and started teaching Pinnacle, um, a Pinnacle, which is another business operating system. Uh, I can actually show you what Pinnacle is. So there are five principles. There's people, purpose, playbooks, performance, and profit. So there are five principles. And what you want is you want to have the right people in the right seat, and you want them to be coached. You want them to be driven by a powerful purpose. And then you create the consistency and the scalability of playbooks. And then you have them perform at a high level, and the byproduct is profit. So these are the five pinnacle principles. And then there are 15 underlying practices. So if you turn these wheels here, so for people to have a great people function in your business, you need to have a great culture, so great core values. And then you have a great, uh, great functions in the organization. So who is doing what? Clarity, empower people. And then you have to coach your, your A players so that they keep growing with the company. And then, uh, then the purpose is all about uh, the vision. So you see the little moon behind the mountain. So that's your vision. And then your strategy of how you get to your vision. And then you create the alignment. So the two rockets in the alignment, you integrate your vision and you create uh, repetition and reinforcement. And then the playbooks create the consistency. So you define your playbooks and then you ingrain them in your business and eventually optimize them. And then the performance is all about setting goals. We call it rocks, quarterly rocks. And then you also uh, set metrics, uh, KPIs in your business so that everyone is performing the activity that takes you to the goals and and a great meeting structure so that people communicate well, solve problems. And then profit is the byproduct, but you also uh, benchmark yourself to the best in the business and you put together a strategy stack, a stack of unique strategies that make your business unassailable. So that's basically what I teach the Pinnacle uh, model. And then Strategy OS is taking it to the next level. So when you, so Pinnacle will help you create a well-oiled machine business and Strategy OS will help you dig the moat around it so that people cannot touch you. You have unique activities that cannot be copied and you are much more profitable than your competitors, so you can grow faster. I like the moat uh, metaphor. I always I like to call it a category of one. You'd say it's, it's pretty similar, right? Yeah. Okay, so we're going to get into those concepts, but I just want a little bit of context right now. So what you do when you're not podcasting or not on podcasts, you work with companies um, like the owners of companies, the CEOs of companies, and you you get them, you help them implement those those things, correct? Yep. Yeah. So, so what's the process like? How many how how many how often do you meet with the owners of the companies? So I meet them five days a year. That doesn't sound like very much. It doesn't sound like much, but you know what I want is for them to have a great plan and to execute that plan, and I. Every quarter when I meet with them, I just want to make sure that they are executing. I hold them accountable to their own plans. I help them figure out what's not working. How to how long is one meeting? It's a full day meeting. So okay, at least you get a full day. Seven eight hours. Yes. <laughs> so uh, figure out. You know, uh, there are four objectives for each meeting. It's accountability. It's clarity. So I want them to have complete clarity as to what they need to do. What are their priorities? Where they're going? Um, so clarity and then alignment. I want all of them to be on the same page uh, and not divide, divided and be agreed on what to do and be completely clear. And finally, decisions. So often business owners, they don't make the necessary decisions. Decision means to cut off. The Latin uh, root of the word is to cut off. 
So you, you're trying to do too many things. Most business owners are trying to stretch themselves thin and you disperse your energies and you're not focusing your energy to the handful of things that will move your business up to the mountain. Uh, the 20% that takes care of 80% of the results. So I want them to cut off all those things that are low gain, the 80%, so you can channel that energy into the 20% and make the business grow. Do you only talk to the owners of the business or the talk to the team or who do you talk to? I talk to the leadership team. I want the leadership to to the team. team, okay. Yeah, because one of the reasons uh, I was... I left Vistage, I left the, the peer group business, was that we had great conversations, we uh, had great ideas, and and the CEOs who were in the hot seat, they, they, they loved the ideas, they said, wow, yes, that's it, I'm going to execute this idea. And they came back the next month and asked them, did you execute? Oh, no, actually we didn't execute uh, because something else happened and it got, dist- it got distracted. And it happened all the time. Maybe 10%, 20% of the members executed and most people didn't execute and they get so frustrated. We spent so much energy on this, putting together the agenda, facilitating the conversations, having the great topics, having the great ideas, people chip in and then there's no execution. So I thought if I worked with the whole leadership team, I could help the business owner divide and conquer because the business owner is always the obstacle. They try to do everything themselves or they think they know better or they want to control everything, or they want to make the decisions, or people don't know that they could make decisions and they just go to the business owner and he becomes a bottleneck. You know. The, so one of the main things you talk about is delegating. Delegating, and it's also formulating the ideas. So when you engage the whole team with where to go and how to gonna get there, then people will contribute their ideas. So the idea is gonna be better. And there will be buy-in. So even if your idea as a team member doesn't get approved, because you were part of the conversation, because your ideas were heard, you're going to be much more likely to be uh, supporting the ultimate idea that was decided. And there's much more buy-in and energy to grow the business. Unless you're just like so resentful that he heard my idea, my idea was awesome, and then he didn't care or she didn't care. Uh but it's true. At least if people felt feel like they're listened to and heard, then they at least feel like, all right, well, they gave me a chance. Yeah. And I was part of the team and it was a conversation. And uh, hopefully your idea was not rejected because, okay, people heard it, but they didn't respond to it. No, there was, there was response. There was this discussion. And it came out of discussion that there was a better idea. And you decided for the better idea. And that, that's fine, you know? And sometimes your idea may not get chosen, but it catalyzes other ideas. So it becomes part of the bigger idea or the, the ultimate idea. And if you didn't put forward your thoughts, the ultimate idea would not have come out as good. Thank you to everybody listening to this. It gives me a real sense of purpose knowing that people feel they get a lot of value out of the show, enough value at least to take the time to listen. Likely some serendipitous occurrence caused you to discover Swarfcast. And I know it might get tiring with me constantly talking about serendipity, but it's just on my mind a lot lately. You might have saw a promo for the show on social media or a coworker told you about it. In any case, if you know of somebody out there who would get some value out of the show, I'd like you to return the favor that you received once upon a time and spread the word. That's the only way others are going to find out about it. Back to the episode. Do you sometimes deal with, you know, work with just like a solopreneur? I mean, are some of the teams really small? Either you should have a big team or you should have a big ambition, but you have to have one of the two. Well, what is a big team? So, uh, you know, a big team... uh, is you at least have you know three, four, five, six people on the leadership team. So okay. the business owner is not on their own. They're not trying to do everything themselves. I they, wasn't sure if you were going to say like 20 or, you know, okay. Well, in the company, maybe there are 20, 50, or 100 people. It's possible. But I work with some smaller companies who only have maybe five, six employees, but then they have a big ambition. You know, they want to triple the business within a couple of years. There is one client I have that were really small. They had like six employees when we started. 
But within 18 months, they 6X'd the business. So they grew it six times bigger. And, uh, you know, and, and they kept on going. So this is- Does the, that mean they had six times more in employees or just six times more six profit? Six times more profit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but but they, had, they had profit. So it was the revenue and the profit. The revenue went up four times. The profit went up six times. So it was a substantive, substantial growth for that business. So it doesn't have to be a big business, but- People, ha- you have to have people who want to really grow and they want to change and they're willing to get out of comfort zones for that. Give me a, a few examples of the businesses that you work with. Yeah, so uh, I like businesses that are technology enabled. Uh, so I, I really like uh, software enabled businesses. Uh, I like businesses that have uh, that are dependent on intellectual property, people, uh, service businesses. Um, so I tend to have more service type businesses. I like professional services as well because there it's all uh, all about the systems, the ideas, the intellectual property, and and you you have to rely on on people doing what they need to do. And What's a, what what is a professional service? A professional service is where you are selling the service that professionals provide. So you don't actually have a tangible product. So for example, uh, the accounting firms are professional service. Uh, law firms are professional service, uh, doctor's offices. I have a client, uh, which is a, a, um, a plastic surgery in Beverly Hills. Yeah, I heard that podcast on, I heard that podcast episode. Yeah, so I, right. I thought that was so interesting. Yeah. So, it's, so that's, that's a great business because, you know, it's very interesting uh, and you have people and you have a high-end service. And then how do you scale that? And how do you find the right people? Uh, who are highly uh, high, high expertise people, and how do you build a business around people who are highly autonomous? They have great ideas and they have high expertise. So I love that. I like software as well. Um, Man, what about a manufacturing company? I don't really have manufacturing. I have one client that is a distribution firm, but have a manufacturing arm, and uh, there's another one which is also distribution, but a value-added distribution. I have a couple more distributors who uh, kind of take a product and then they evolve that product and sell it. But pure manufacturing, um, you know, there are fewer and fewer of those companies around, actually. Well, maybe just not in your world. Maybe. Yes, that's right. I mean, you you meet all those people, right? Um, Okay. So I say I'm a... um, Can we do an example? Say if I was a manufacturer, the people listening to this... um, so I'm I'm a machining company and I'm doing five million a year revenue top line. Yeah, and say making a million dollars profit or EBITDA a year, and I come to you and and I say I really want to grow. What's the first step? So uh, you have a conversation and what do you what do you say? The first thing I assume is you have to figure out what you really want, right? Exactly. Why do you want to grow? Mm-hmm. What motivates you? And what do people normally say? Well, you know, sometimes they say, um, you know, I want to have an exit. So I want to build this company up so that I can I can sell it. I can create a valuable asset. Sometimes people want to grow because they want to leave a legacy. Uh, they, they want to be successful, you know. Sometimes they want to grow because they, they want to transition it to a family member or they want to bring in family members and and it's kind of similar to the legacy uh, piece. Sometimes they they want to grow because they want to win. You know, they want to feel like they're they're the best in their peer group of other machining uh, company entrepreneurs. And you know, they have an ego and they want to win, which is completely okay. I'm a bit like that too. So you're saying that people come in and they want to grow because they want to grow for the point of exiting the business, making the business more valuable. But you haven't said anything like they want to change the world. They want to provide, they want to make sure X number of people have this amazing thing in their life. Um, you, you didn't mention any sort of why like that, which I find interesting. To me, that might make somebody even more motivated to push hard and, and grow something rather than, although I think a lot of people, it, their passion is just business. They just want to, they want to succeed in a business. doesn't really matter. No, you're absolutely right. And now that you're talking about this, it's, it's kind of an aha for me as well. So when people come to see me, they rarely have this big vision 
of what they want to achieve, this you know, put a dent in the universe kind of vision. And one of the things we actually do is to look for that and to articulate that because maybe the business owner just wants to be more financially successful and they, they, they want to be rich, okay? Or they want to have an exit, whatever. Um, or they want to have a legacy. They want to be winning personally. But for the rest of the company, that's not a good enough reason to grow. So for the people who work in the company, they, they don't really care about the business owner who wants to be rich and wants to be a big, big. They don't care about that. They care about other things. A purpose. So, a purpose, exactly. So that's why it's very, very powerful if we can come up with a, with a purpose. I call it the why. You know, Simon Sinek talks about the why. Right, the, the, the why. Yeah. The why. So we, talk, we call it the why. And when people articulate that, then suddenly the light bulb go off and says, Yes, actually, there's a bigger thing here, and I'm super excited about this bigger thing. So just a couple examples. Um, I work with a communication company, and they basically build international networks, uh, telecommunication networks. And, um, and we had this conversation in the meetings. You know, why are you here? What are you trying to do as a company? What, what is the bigger purpose? How are you helping people? And they came up with this idea that they want to help because they, they, they service the American government, uh, government agencies. They want to help the U.S. government to be able to safely and securely communicate around the world. And the idea being is that the troops are all over the world, and you want to be able to reach them at all times to make sure that our troops are secure and safe, and you know where they are and what's happening with them, and you can help them. And the CEO, who is a former Marine, uh, not a former Marine, because once you're Marine, you're always Marine, he's a Marine. So he said, I'm super pumped about this idea. I have family members in the military and I want them to be secure. And he, he got emotional. He went on a five-minute rant how excited he was about this idea. So now he didn't just have a financial goal. Now he also had a mission. And as Jeff Be Bezos says, uh, you know, you want missionaries, not mercenaries. So you want your people to be so excited about your mission that they want to be on your mission. They want to go and have a colony on Mars. They want to transition the world to renewable energy. They want to do so something. So do you then master, do you first mastermind with the team to try to figure out what their why is or? Well, that's not the very first thing that we do, that this is one of, normally we do it on the first day uh, that we work together. We work on this because it's a very, very powerful thing. And it really aligns people because people can buy into the being on a mission like that. I had another client that we started working on, uh, who is a packaging manufacturer, uh, actually a distributor or pa packaging machines, that maybe you can relate to this. And they came up with this why. They said that they want to relieve people of unhealthy and unpleasant tasks. So mm -hmm. when, when you're in a big warehouse and you have to package this, the pick and pack process, and you have to package this product, and it may be there's no air conditioning and it's dusty and there's no light and people are crouching over a small desk, and it's very unpleasant. It's, it's mostly unhealthy as well. Uh, they have to lift weights and stuff. They want them to not have to do that. And that's what these machines do, that they prevent you from having to do that. And people got really excited about it, that they, they are this positive force in the world. Or i give you another example. We talked about the um, plastic surgeon in, yeah. in Beverly Hills. So they see themselves, their why is they want to have people fulfill their potential. So they see all these people with crooked noses and with uh, facial, you know, um, they focus on noses primarily. And people are shy on social media. They don't want to be on pictures. They don't want to put themselves forward. They don't want to lead because they feel self-conscious. And when they fix their face, suddenly they can be themselves. They can go out. They have the confidence. They can save the world. And that's a huge uh, vibe. But the reason that they want to... 6x the company some of that just comes down to ego and ambition to to win and not necessarily not necessarily because a business owner cannot 6x their company i mean they can when they start with one dollar next year they do six dollars they 6x it but i'm, I'm joking but uh, so one person cannot really grow a company you can grow it to some level but you're going to run out of hours in the day, right? You need a team. And then if you make all the decisions, then that's a bottleneck. So you need to delegate decisions. So you need people who are empowered to own their functions and run your business for you. And then you can grow. And you want these people to be as excited about growing the business as you are. All right. And so you're able, and that's one of the things you do? You help excite the people? Yes. 
Absolutely. Okay. What's another thing you do? I know that we're, I don't know how much time you have, but I think we're, we're digging deep here. So just tell me, what's the next stage? So we talked about people. Mm-hmm. So people is, is figuring out what is your culture. So what are the core values that you as a business owner, as a founder, and, and some of the people that you started with, they inculcated in the business and how do we perpetuate this culture in the business, core mm-hmm. values. And then um, we talk about the, the vision. So we talked about the vision already. So what is your why and why? what is your big Big hairy audacious goal, we call it the pinnacle. So what's a big goal 10 years out or 7, 15 years out uh, that is going to be tangible, measurable, but it's really, really uh, exciting. And then uh, we paint a vivid vision of a medium-term future, and then we break it down to the annual goal and quarterly goals. So that's what we also do. And then uh, a big idea is also the playbook. So how do you create consistency and scalability in your business playbooks and you have a lot of and you have a lot of tried and true methods that you introduce to people or reinforce to people yeah i i, sh- I show them how to do it it doesn't have to be a complicated it's really really simple and you just have to think of your business in the right way you have to make sure that people who have the best practice they record their best practice and you find the person who loves to document things and to organize things, and then you can get your playbooks done. In so the- find the right roles. But what do you do to get these? If, if I'm listening to this and I want to know what are these best practices, what are some of them? How can you help them? Well, every, business, every business has its own best practices. So let's say I'm a machining company. So what functions do I have? I have a sales function. Uh, maybe I have a marketing function. I have an engineering function. I have a delivery function or a manufacturing function. I have an administrative function. And all of those functions have a best practice uh, or maybe more. So my, my engineering function has a best practice, the way that we uh, maybe create our tools, machining tools, or how we uh, create our injection molding or uh, how do how we... Uh, so you help you know, people organize this stuff, kind of get their heads together. I help them think about it conceptually and I give them the tools and the mental picture of how that works, and then they can do it. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, so we got the people, and then we got the... Uh, Purpose, playbook. We talked about playbooks. Yeah. And, you know, it's really important to have good playbooks because if you want to improve your productivity, you have to be consistent. You have to uh, work your... You have to have processes so that you can create consistency. And every time you double the cumulative repetitions, you improve your productivity by 20%. And if you have this consistent productivity, you keep improving, improving, that's your margin is increasing. And you have all those mediocre businesses that are always doing things differently. They never improve. So that's what you want. Um, you also want to delegate. Yeah. So that's also processes, playbooks. And then you have the execution piece. So you've got the vision, the great people, the playbooks. Then you have to execute. So how do you make sure... People set goals and they execute. They have good KPIs. They have good meetings where they uh, make decisions. Uh, they develop. And how do you make your clients do that? I show them how fun it is and that they want to do it. It's fun and people want to be productive. So uh, I believe that everybody wants to be uh, successful, productive. They want to contribute. And just people just don't know how to do it. How do you show them? I, I show them how it works. And then the light bulb goes off and then they start doing it and they get good at it pretty quick. It's very simple, but not easy. How often? It's simple, but not easy. How often are, and I, I don't know, maybe you can't tell me this, but like how often do companies come to you and you make a huge impact versus it, they just kind of stay the same? and What's that? Well, less and less. So when I started doing this uh, six, seven years ago, um, it was about 50-50. So 50% of the companies I, I helped and 50% were not changing. And what I realized uh, over time is that the biggest uh, difference is client selection. So I have to select the clients that are receptive to this, who have an open mind, who will willing to uh, step out of their comfort zone and try new things and be willing to endure the pain of change. So the first thing you do when a client comes to you is you talk a while to the client, find out if there's somebody that is a good candidate for you to, to work with. 
So I talk to the business owner first and I talk to the whole team. And then I, I can see really clearly, is this business owner, is he for real? And is this team for real? Are they have what it takes to make change and to grow this business? If I see that they're not going to do it, then I politely uh, decline and or or I recommend someone else. Okay. And and as far as like a pattern of, of who succeeds and who doesn't, the somebody who's willing to get out of their comfort zone and you'd say that's one of the key things you look for. What are what are the what are the key things you look for when when you decide that they are worthy to do your services? So one of them is the willingness to grow or the desire to grow. So do they really? Because most business owners, everyone talks about growth, but most of them uh, don't actually want to pay the price of growth, which is getting out of your comfort zone. So do they really want to grow? Are they willing to pay the price of growth, uh, getting uncomfortable? That's the first one. The second one, they need to have a degree of self-awareness. If they are, you know, if they think that only their way, my way is a high and the, or the highway, and they're not willing to listen to other people, and they, they don't have the capacity to be open-minded and to absorb other people's ideas and to consider it, um, then, then they are not really a good uh, candidate. And the third thing, they have to have the right kind of business. So they have to have figured out how to make money. And you don't, do, you don't re- really do that with the people to help them figure out how to make money. No, they have to have the idea and they have to have proven that they can make money. Maybe they don't make much money. Maybe they are not profitable. They're just barely making it. But they have a product or a service. There is a demand for it in the marketplace. And they have a team around them that is helping them. And they're just not able to make the business successful. Then I can help them. But if they don't have an idea, if they don't have a product or a service, then they, they don't need me. Then they need uh, maybe uh, need to read some books or they need to work with an individual coach who will help them figure out how to get organized and how to find something that uh, interests them and that they can do and learn to do that something themselves so that they can start building a business. Interesting. Um, just a couple other questions. I mean, you and, and me, we're, we're both into trying to get out of our comfort zone. I like to say it all the time and, uh, you know, it sure as hell doesn't mean I'm actually doing it, but hope sometimes. Well, you're running this podcast, so that's that can be uncomfortable sometimes because you meet a lot of different people. You have to ask smart questions. That's true. You have to, uh, 199 episodes, though, so I, I'm wow. I'm somewhat comfortable now. So it's now I, you know, you need to think bigger. I'm trying to get bigger. I mean, that's why I'm working with a coach. Maybe I'm not making the right sacrifices for it. I, I don't know, but it's interesting that you talk about that because I'm reflecting on on my own growth. Okay. Like you talk to people about growing their company and you you talk about numbers, a multiple growing it, right? I've been trying to like grow listeners for the show. You, I'm, you're, you're going through the exact same thing. You're looking at your metrics, right? As I've gone on, and maybe part of it is just sort of a reality check, you start thinking about what's the most beneficial, right? So like you and I, we both have niche podcasts. And sure, you know, the, the huge ones, they, they often emerge from niche podcasts, but we're catering to a certain group of people to help a certain group of people to market us to a certain group of people. And, you know, I mean, we, we just sold a company based on somebody who heard it on or heard our ad on the podcast. Would it be amazing to have hundreds of thousands of listeners of all kinds? It would be, my ego would be through the roof and I would feel amazing. And but at the same time, you can look at, it's a different kind of growth, right? There's different nuances. There's the details, you know? Yeah, I tell you my philosophy around this. So people say that you have to find a starving crowd, you have to find a market which is really uh, hungry, and then you create a product that the market wants. And, and I get it, uh, but I don't get it. So I get it in the sense that, yes, this is logical. Uh, go out and, and find you know, the product that everyone wants. But I'm, I'm not kind of interested in a product that everyone wants. I'm interested in the product that I want to build, right? I'm interested in the concept that I'm curious about. That motivates me. And I think I'd rather find the people that are also interested in what I'm interested in than to try to please a lot of people that are after something that I'm not that interested in and I have to make an effort to be interested in it. And then there may be a million other people who are also 
find that thing that the market wants and then we, we are in the red ocean and we compete. So you've got a healthy philosophy. Yeah. So I just want to do what I'm interested in. And pro- as long as my family, family is not starving and my kids, uh, you know, go to college and I can cover the tuition and, and my business is growing every year, I couldn't care less about everyone else. I, I want to do my own thing. And hopefully there will be enough following. I, I have a big uh, why for my business, you know, the business COVID. I think we have a really great chance. If you eradicated business COVID, it would grow the U.S. GDP by 4% each year more faster. So we'd go not 3%, but 7%. So we would leave China in the dust. And, and I think it's a huge uh, thing for me. It's a huge idea, at least for me and other people that believe in it. We can eradicate it with good coaching concepts and good coaching facilitation. These people, none of them have to go out of business. They can all figure out how to get around being disrupted and uh, you know people leaving, coming and going, and people retiring. And, uh, and that's, that's what I'm excited do about. You, and, do you uh, go to your own coach? I have, uh, yeah, well, I mean, I have different coaches. So I, you know, my coaches are all those business authors that came in front of me. And when I'm reading the books, they are basically coaching me. Uh, I listened to Arnold Schwarzenegger's new book, which I th- thought was brilliant. Oh, interesting. I'll uh, have to check that be out. Be useful. Check it out. Be useful. He reads it in his own voice. I feel like he is coaching me. So I'm listening to this book. I'm being coached by Arnold Schwarzenegger. I love it. This is awesome. Uh, I also have a friend that we started with in Vistage together. He is also a Vistage coach, and we call each other regularly, and we coach each other. Uh, so so I'm also part of a group of other coaches. So I get a lot of coaching this okay, way. Okay, so you're part of a mastermind and, uh, group of coaches. Yes. Yeah, because, I mean, you know as well as anybody, you need somebody on the outside to come in and push you as much as you may know to push others. Sometimes it's, it's like the do as I say, not as I do. Exactly. You, we all need someone. And my, my wife is also my coach. So she will tell me five times a day what I'm doing wrong. So I, I have no room for complacency here. Fascinating. Do you have anything else you want to say to the people of the world? I think, I think you summed it up pretty well. Well, uh, you know, if, if you're a business owner and you want to grow your business, I think it's, it's the greatest adventure uh, for us. It's the opportunity to use a business, a vi- I call it a viable business that has figured out how to make money. If you have a business like that, even if it's not profitable, you have a few employees, you have a, an opportunity to use this as a vehicle to take you to your ideal life. And, uh, and don't squander this opportunity. I think it's huge. And get the help of people uh, who will help you grow this business and and get to your ideal life as fast as possible and help other people in in the process. There is no greater adventure than that. Do you think people are, some people are just entrepreneurs and some people aren't? Or is it something that your mind can eventually evolve into? You know, sometimes I feel like I I could be an entrepreneur and sometimes, you know, I, I don't know. You know, already I'm in a business, but I, you know, I sometimes think about there's all kinds of opportunities, right? I don't know. Do you think it's just some people have it and some people don't? Some people have the drive and some people don't? Or do a lot of people have the potential to be entrepreneurs and they, they just never really had the confidence to do it? So there are, um, I have more, more answers for this. So the first one is that there are very many different entrepreneurs. So they are. They don't. They come in different shapes and sizes and colors. So it's not like everyone has to be like an Elon Musk or a or, or a Steve Jobs, right? That's the first thing. The second thing is, I think being an entrepreneur is, is really being curious. So I think entrepreneurs are at the core. They are curious people, and they want to figure things out. And sometimes these curious people will channel that energy into uh, figuring things out in the form of a business. Or sometimes they become a scientist, right? or they become an artist. Uh, so it's, it's kind of the same kind of thing. It's you're curious and you find a way to figure things out. And you know the great thing about being a business entrepreneur is that you are your own boss. You don't have to report to an orchestra. And yeah, a see, that's a beautiful you're, thing, right? Yeah, you're your own boss and you own your own time and you work with the people that you like. Well, so that's not necessarily a, a given. That's why well, you have to... To do it right, you have. Yeah, I mean, it's up to you. If you have to be, if you're the entrepreneur, the business owner, the 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 boss, then you can surround yourself with the right people. You can manage your own time, and you can do whatever you like to do. That's the beauty of this whole entrepreneurship game. Now, 
you can be a, a different kind of entrepreneur. So you can be a really good organizer who maybe is a people person. You can uh, galvanize people. You can get them to work. You can motivate them. Maybe you're not that curious. You're more of a you're more an execution oriented person. And and then a franchise is a great thing for you because they tell you what to do. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to be super curious. You just have to want to do it. You have to be action oriented. And then you can be a franchisee entrepreneur. It's a kind of entrepreneurship as well. Or you can be an intrapreneur. You can be uh, the CEO of a company where you, you, you kind of have a lot of autonomy. You can hire the people that you want to work with, but you're not risking your own, own money. Uh, but you're really good at, you, you, you're, you accept that there's a board above you or there's a boss above you. And, and you just like to do things on your own way and manage things. And that's also a, that's also a good path. So whatever works for you and within the Curious Entrepreneur, there are many, many ways to skin a cat too. That's a good answer. And, and just one more question. And You are very curious. I think you would make a good entrepreneur from that respect. Well, thank you. That, that really means a lot to me. Uh, as you said, your curiosity can lead to all kinds of different, different things, different roles. I, I think... Uh, you already are. A podcast entrepreneur is an entrepreneur. You are building a business. It may be a small business. It may not make a lot of money yet. See, I like to think that. As long as you're growing um, and you have a, a path to getting to a point where you will have enough listeners to you know, to be able to advertise and to make some money. And then you can snow it. You can do other things on top of the podcast. You can do a live performance. You know, some of the podcasters, they go out on the stage, like uh, this Belarusian guy. What's his name? Um, Vaynerchuk. Uh, oh, uh, oh but Gary, 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 Gary V. Gary V. He, he started out as a podcaster and then he went to the stage in London and in Los Angeles. Well, but he, he's, he's, a, he's a big entrepreneur, though. Yeah, but he started with the Vine um, videos, the YouTube, uh, selling Vine on YouTube. For his family business, yeah. Yeah, so it was kind of a family business, and he was kind of a, a podcaster of some sorts, a, a YouTuber. And then he rolled it into this uh, business where he is advising other people how to use social media. Basically, he turned his YouTube into a social media consulting business. And then he turned his podcast into a stage performance business. Uh, and then he became an influencer. So it, it was a very gradual thing of of something like you with uh, with the social media show. Mm -hmm. But you, what are your ambitions for your podcast? Just to to help it work in harmony with with what you do um, for your work. I don't have an ambition for my podcast. I have an ambition of uh, eradicating business COVID. And uh, as long as the podcast serves that. Uh, goal and it does because every podcast there's a framework. So I'm, I'm helping entrepreneurs uh, conceptualize their business. Okay, and not everybody can afford your coaching. And not everybody has the you know. So this is your chance to help impact to help people. the home exactly. the home gamer. Exactly. Yeah. One last question, uh, and we talked about this when you interviewed me. When has uh, serendipity played a big part in your life? All the time. Every time there was a big uh, failure in my life it helped me to a big breakthrough. So the biggest one was, you know, I was working in this big bank and I was super excited. I wanted to work uh, actually in Moscow of all places because it was really hot in the 90s. <laughs> a lot of capital markets. Yeah, would you believe it? I wanted to work for the Moscow office and, in the la and it looked like I was going to get the job and then someone vetoed me and I didn't get the job and I got pissed off. I left. And I joined another bank and then they promoted me. I got the bigger job. I, I started running a bond desk, whatever. Then when I got fired, uh, then it pushed me out of comfort zone. Suddenly uh, I didn't have the golden handcuffs, as you, as you called it. And I could do what I really wanted to do. Yes. Then when, That was serendipity, when, for sure. That was serendipity. Uh, when uh, the, the financial crisis came, I had to organize my business better so that we, are we were able to survive which made my business much better. Then when the Eurozone crisis, the Euro currency crisis came, then it pushed me to come to America. So this was serendipity. It was a crisis and, you know, crisis is danger and opportunity. And I managed to take the opportunity piece. It was very dangerous, but it, uh, the opportunity was there. 
And every time something failed, it pushed me to do something else, try something else, and it ended up being better. Yeah, you you so, get it, man. You get it. That's probably why you liked talking about serendipity on the podcast. You're a practitioner. Uh, yeah, now that you say it, uh, yes, I probably am, yes. All right, thank you so much. This was really fun. And, um, thank oh, you. Oh, 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 wait, 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 wait. I know you have to go. However, when uh, people want to find you, your services, your podcast, your website, Tell us where to do that. So, so my brand is my name. Uh, so it, it sounds very uh, self-serving, Steve Breda Business Growth. But the method to the madness is that I had so many brands in the past and I always had a new idea and then I had to rebrand it. So I decided five years ago, no more rebranding. I'm just who I am. And then my business is, is, is just going to be an extension. So Steve Breda Business Growth, we, uh, we have a LinkedIn page where we post a lot of content, videos, uh, uh, infographics all about growing businesses. So I suggest you check it out. My website, stevepreda.com, also very, very easy. Um, my, my, my books, uh, this is the latest one, Strategy uh, OS, and I've got one about Pinnacle uh, that we talked about. Uh, there's another one, Buyable, so how to make a business buyable. So check out my books on Amazon, Steve Preda, uh, Entrepreneur Tools. And don't forget about the Management Blueprint podcast. Yeah, and then the podcast as well. So just Google me and you'll find all that stuff. you find it on my website as well. All right. Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you, Noah. It was a really fun to be on this podcast. It's probably uh, my favorite so far. Oh, so thank you totally boosting my ego. Ah. You, you are a very good listener and you ask great questions. So thank you. From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app and give us a five-star rating and a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch extended interview videos. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is Patricio Garcia. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com. Thank you.